was talking to you about rowing. How many of you came to church last week? How many of you rowed? How many of you by Friday were ready to chuck the oars across the water? Wednesday? Monday afternoon? (laughs) How many of you are ready to pick up your oar and beat someone with it? It's okay. Listen, the, the only other people that know we're having this conversation is everyone on Facebook and Instagram. So it's fine. Don't worry about it. No one's going to judge. It's a judge-free zone. And this is Heather's world, and so we're overly transparent in Heather's world. And so it's okay if you want to beat somebody with the oar. There are times when I'm in the boat with somebody, I always get tickled when people talk about how they're not going to go to church anymore because someone in the church they didn't like. And I was like, oh, I'm a pastor. Yeah. There's people at church I don't like. There's people at Target I don't like. There's people at Walmart I really don't like. Some people at the gas station aren't very kind either. And the guy at McDonald's is having a really bad day. But it hasn't stopped me from going to any of those places. Why wouldn't people that are not nice stop me from going to church? I actually think they should probably be in church. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but liars, hypocrites, cheats, they should all actually go to church. Why are we mad that they're in church? Nothing else is going to change them. Let's go ahead and encourage them. I'm glad you came to church. You lying son of a gun. You need Jesus a little more. Why am I getting mad? Because you need Jesus. I'll just let you sit on the front row so you can have a little bit more of him. Encourage the pastor to hold you under when he baptizes you. I don't know. Whatever works for you to get over yourself. But anyways, so we come to church because it's the way we feed our souls, right? We get into a, we feed ourselves from a lot of different avenues, We've got a a plethora of places where we can get inspiration. I don't know if you know this, but I don't know that Facebook and Instagram are actually that interested in how inspired you are. I think they may have ulterior motives to why they do what they do. But you have to make a decision, and I'm glad you're here this morning, because just being here this morning is the evidence that you've made a decision that I may need to feed myself with something more. I may need to... Look deeper inside what maybe God has for me versus just what is being shoveled to me from the outside world. And so Dad preached out of Mark chapter 6, and he talked about the disciples rowing, and they kept at it. And it made me wonder, what kept them rowing? Like I said, I had six children in a minivan, and uh, one of them was always hungry. One of them always had to go to the bathroom. One of them was always mad or poking or dancing or they were their leg was too far on the other side of someone else's area. And um, some of it was self-inflicted. Some of it was inflicted normally by Hezekiah. Um, he's normally the instigator of infliction. Um, and so he, you should all have a Hezekiah in your life. He's doing it really happily. He's not mad at anybody. He's just loving life. And for whatever reason, he thought the two-year-old needed to be yelling at the same time. And so, you know, why not annoy the two-year-old in the car seat? And so, anyways, it made me think about just all of the things that would have been happening in that boat and what kept people in the boat. What kept them? What made them want to keep rowing? What made them not just want to jump off the side and go, I mean, I'll get there sooner or later. The waves will push me in. Because if you notice, if you read much of Mark, They go back and forth across the sea a lot. And if you back up a little bit and you look in uh, the chapters, just right before Mark chapter 5, he had gone over to the other side and he'd cast the demons out. Remember, they went into the pigs and the pigs jumped over. So they're rowing through water that has dead floating pigs, people. 
I know you like Sunday school flannel board version of Jesus, but that's not what's happening here. They got floating dead pigs hanging out on the top of the water while they're going back and forth across this water. And they had just left a place that did not want them. He showed up, solved a problem that was plaguing them. They had this crazy dude who was demon-possessed, and he was driving them all bananas. Any of you have anything in your life that's driving you bananas? God shows up, solves the problem, but in their minds created another problem because of the pigs. And they were more upset, and so they send him away. Have you ever shown up to help somebody and they don't like how you help them? And they send you away? You notice Jesus doesn't go cry in his Cheerios. He just goes to the other side. And when he gets over there, now there's a group of people that genuinely want to hear what he has to say. Or at least they are portraying maybe they want to hear what he has to say. And so he's been sent away from this place because they did not like the help he gave. And he goes to the opposite side with his disciples. And they're swimming through floating dead pigs. Get that picture in your head. I actually thought about this this weekend considering we have a little pond and Hampton has this like inflatable boat. I thought about trying to figure out how I could, like, dress my kids up as pigs and float them in the water while he, just to give you an Instagram picture of this, because this is what I'm thinking about when I read this story. Why? Because I teach little kids, and I need to keep them involved, and the idea of dead floating pigs sounds really funny to them. So you just have to bear with the children's pastor this morning, okay? So anyway, so the dead floating pigs, they're floating, or they're rowing through them, and they get to the other side, and there's this group there. And you're going to know this story in Mark chapter 5 as an important, significant person. And then there's going to be somebody who's not as significant. So if you'll turn with me to Mark chapter 5, I'm going to start in verse 21. And it says, Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so that she can live. Jesus went with him and all the people followed, crowding around him. And a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors. And over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them. But she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe for... She thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately the bleeding stopped, and she could feel her body, that she had been healed, and her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him, and so he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched me? So before you get to Mark chapter 6, and Jesus is rowing, and you're excited about rowing, But by Wednesday, you're not sure that you could care less about rowing. You just want to get to the other side. If you, too, might have thought, how do I keep it going even when I don't feel like it? You see, many of us have been raised around this idea that I should ignore my feelings. That my feelings are lying to me, and thus I should just ignore them. Those are not real things. You should just just ignore them. We're taught from a very young age. I work in childcare, so if they cry, we put a bottle in their mouth so they stop crying, or we put them to sleep, or we do something to make them stop crying. Because if you feel mad, sad, glad, and it's too much of an extreme, those that are around you, the community around you, will find a way to shut you up. See, I got a, if a baby cries, that's obnoxious, but I got a Hezekiah. 
And Hezekiah is never really mad or sad, but Hezekiah is really glad all of the time to an extreme level. This boy loves life and to its fullest. And he doesn't really read the expression on your face to know whether or not you are loving life or not. But he's going to make sure that his joy covers up you. So if you're not careful, you will buy the lie that our culture has told us that I cannot have feelings. Because if I have feelings, I need to get them under control and wrap them up. And I need to be poised and positioned and controlled. Because if I feel, I'm maybe out of control. Maybe none of you have ever thought that or been told that. But I beg to differ because I work with children that maybe at times we're told we're not allowed to feel. And yet the Bible says he did not see her. He felt. He felt her need. How many of you are sitting around someone today and maybe you just feel their pain? You've been around someone and you felt their joy? How many of you have been around someone and you felt they're mad? How many of you have felt their sadness? You just felt something. You didn't know what it was, you didn't know their story, but you felt something. So as we unpack this, this is important to understand that I don't have to always ignore how I feel. Now I don't have to live just out of my feelings. There's more to it. Okay? But just hold that thought for a second. So to understand the importance of this moment in Scripture, we have to understand the importance of the characters that are in the story. So we have Jairus. Not only do we know his name, we know his position, and I don't have enough time this morning to unpack what his position actually meant, but he was really important. Okay? So just tell yourself, this is a super important dude. Okay? But it's significant to understand that he is a leader of a synagogue. If you go back, see, Christians have a really bad habit of reading a chapter, but not reading the ones before or after. (laughs) There's important things in there. And if you'll go back and you'll read Mark 1, 2, 3, and 4, what you'll see is the religious rulers of the times were very concerned about this controversial person by the name of Christ that was really turning upside down the status quo of the religious realities of the time. And they were concerned about him. And in private, they were having conversations. And Jairus would have been in those conversations. He would have been a part of the conversations of concern that this man, remember John the Baptist? John the Baptist made a real problem for the religious people of the time. And so now they've got the Christ, and he's really, really making things messy. And they are concerned about it, and they've had conversations in private. And if you'll read in the scriptures, you'll see where they start questioning Christ in public. Because they're concerned. And when you get to chapter 6, in chapter 6, you will see that not only did their concern, it turned into they were conspiring on how to eliminate this threat to the way they took care of people and kept people in line and checked them. It's interesting. The Bible doesn't have a lot of, like, it's kind of hard to figure out how it really applies to us today, right? Because that wouldn't apply to us at all. When people start messing up how we do things. The questions that they are asking as he gets to that point is it says that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and some of John the Baptist's followers start asking Christ this question. 
The way you fast looks different than the way I fast. Again, not questions I know Christians ask today of each other. Why do you worship the way you worship? Why do you go to that church and not this church? Why do you pray in tongues or pray written prayers? Or why do you stand up or sit down? Why? I know it's hard to get the Bible to apply to our daily lives because none of us ask those questions today. We don't question why people worship the way they worship or where they worship where they worship as the Samaritan woman did. But in this story, they question each other a lot. It's so nice to know that in, we've learned so much over 2,000 years and we're way more unified and don't have to ask these questions of one another. These are jokes. This is called sarcasm. So anyways, so these are the questions being asked of Christ prior to now their boss. His co-workers are asking this question, and the boss comes running in the room. The crowd parted because this guy's important. He's significant. He knew the crowd would part for him. But you got to think that the co-workers there are going, oh, he's going to. Every once in a while, I watch it happen with my boys when someone's doing something wrong, and Sean and I walk in the room like, ah, he's going to get it now. Watch for it. Wait for you. He's totally going to get it. He's going to get spanked. He's going to get, if you don't spank your kids, it's fine. I'm just judging you on the inside. Totally kidding. I'm not judging you. Don't call a DCF on me or anything like that. <sighs> Whatever. Anyways, Sean does all the spanking. I don't because they laugh at me. So call him in. Anyways, so do your kids ever do that? Like you're like, you know they're going to get in trouble and you're kind of excited about the fact that they're actually going to get in trouble. It's, it's kind of, it's like, mm, I know I shouldn't be happy that someone's getting in trouble, but on the inside, I'm like, yep, they're getting what's coming to them. None of us holy, sanctified Jesus followers think that about other people. I mean, that would just be, it's a good thing all them heathens think that way. But anyway, so I would assume this is what's happening. See, I, when I read the Bible, i got to think about how what everybody's thinking and feeling is. I don't know if this is true or not. Maybe they were thinking kumbaya. I don't know. But in my mind, they got to be thinking, he's going to get him. He's going to get him this time. Watch him. And what's important to understand is he didn't do that. He fell at the feet of Christ, pleaded fervently for help. It's interesting how desperation will change the thoughts you had of someone. It's interesting what desperation will push you to do. I think desperation might be a catalyst for change. Desperation puts us in a place that says, maybe the people I've always gone to for help aren't the people. Maybe the things I've always thought weren't the thoughts I should have been having. Maybe the things I was doing, maybe there's something else I could reach for. And so that is this man, and he's interrupting Christ, but he's important. He's a significant person. And while he's interrupting, there is a woman who just merely by the fact that she is a woman does not deserve the right to be there. She doesn't come running to the crowd because she knows the crowd would not have parted for her crowd would not have moved out of her way. The crowd would not have held their breath to see what she did. So this woman crawls. If any of you have driven on the road I live on, it's a dirt road and it's a terrible road. I will vote my road the worst dirt road. If you live on a dirt road, we'll compare dirt roads later, but it is terrible. And when it rains, it hoovers really bad. Hoover is another word for a vacuum because my parents wouldn't let me use the word S-U-C-K in their house. So it hoovered horribly when you drive down that road. If you need a massage, just come drive down my road about 35 miles an hour. You'll feel massaged. You need your back aligned, drive down the road. It is not a fantastic road. And it just gets 
worse when other elements are added to it. Now, so these dirt roads, when we think about, oh, she crawled through, it's so amazing. No, she's crawling through animal feces. Okay, they didn't have cars. No planes, trains, and automobiles in this story, people. These were animals, donkeys, goats, whatever. And you have to remember, animals were of more importance than women in these days. And sometimes in my own life, Sean has cows. There are moments I actually think he loves his cows more than he loves me. So I am currently afflicted by the same issues that this woman... No, I'm not. Okay, anyways. But anyway, so there she's crawling through this mud. She's trying to touch just the him. I don't even have to get near him. I don't have to speak to him. But if I could just touch the lowest part on him, I think that this issue that has plagued me for 12 years might be resolved. You see, it's important to know we don't know her name. Matthew tells this story. Mark is telling the story. Luke tells the story. And no one tells us her name. They all call her by the same thing. Her issue. I wonder if any of us have issues in our lives that have been there so long, we have thought maybe that's who we really are. I wonder if there are some of us that we began to think that we are what is afflicting us. We begin to identify ourselves by those things in our lives that have hindered us and held us back. We start thinking that I'm just an addict. I'm just a grumpy person. Those things are just in my genetics. Well, church, what if I said your genetics just need to meet a miracle maker? What if I just said that maybe I'm not depressed, I just struggle with depression? What if I just said I'm not my addiction, but I struggle with an addiction? What if I don't just identify myself as what I've been through? Or, if you're Jairus, what I've accomplished? You see, it can be just as true for the things that afflict us, the issues in our lives, as it is for the accomplishments and the achievements. You see, this man came running in, and if you go to, I think it's John chapter 12, verse 42, it says, Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. So you have two people from completely different walks of life, one who is significant and important, and one who is not. Both plagued with the thoughts in their minds of all that they could lose, what could happen to them. But they just, something just told them to try it. So here we find these two worlds colliding. Colliding in a place where healing could potentially take place. You see, if you can find yourself in that place you'll throw off the restrictions of the things that have limited you, that have held you back, you might potentially find the healing. It says that she had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. Interesting, he was going to a group of people for answers, and she was going to a group of people for answers, and the Bible says she got worse. What are some of the things we go to that we think are going to make us better 
for the moment, but they end up just making it worse. You see, we end up judging people for those places they go. We judge them because they go to a bottle or they go to a store. We judge people based on how they try to resolve the issues in their lives, and we stand on the wayside. You see, when Christ stood up on the mountain and he watched the disciples struggling, he did not stand up there and judge them. He stood up there and encouraged them. Maybe there needs to be more people in church that instead of judging what people go to to try and fill the void and the pain and solve the problems in their lives, maybe if the church would just stand up, And stop criticizing and giving advice on how to row, but just say, here, let me row with you. Let me show you how you should row. I don't know that anyone ever taught you how to row. Let me show you. See, when I go to children's church, I'm teaching kids how to row, how to take their faith and put it into action. Because, see, the Bible says that she heard about Jesus. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. But she did not get healed because she heard, Kent. She didn't get healed. James tells us that faith without works is dead. And so for a large portion of my life, I thought I had to go do all of these things because if I had faith, then I'd go do things. And what I've realized after being in ministry probably way before I should have been, I've not had very many people walk into my life and say, man, my faith has just been changed, Heather, because of what you do back in children's church. Most of you have no idea what I do back in children's church. I've never had one person say, man, watching you Monday through Friday with a bunch of daycare kids just inspired me to love Jesus more. Half of you don't even know we have a child care center. Right? What do the pastors do? I get that question a lot. What do you do? Well, this week I cooked because our cook got life-altering news, and so I cooked food three times a day for 150 kids. That's what I did this week. One day last week, we had a lady literally walk in off the street to escape from sex trafficking. And so I spent five hours with her, connecting her to resources in town. It just depends on the day. One sounds way more Jesus than the other. But when I can walk out in front of the faces of 125 children and they know I'll feed them a hamburger that probably tastes absolutely terrible, I also know I'll have the ability to feed their spirits. Because I don't just show up to tell them how to deal with their spiritual life. I'll show up and give them a goldfish. I'll show up and give them a bottle of water. You see, when James says faith without works is dead, it means can you put your money where your mouth is? And I'm not talking about the things you want to do out in front of everybody that shows them you're a really good uh, person, that you're really deep in faith. Because, see, a lot of people might see the results or the fruit of your disciplines in your life. But nobody's walked into my office and said, man, Heather, when you get up at four in the morning and you're praying in your house, man, that's really changed my life. You don't say that because you don't see that. Because most of what turns into fruit in our lives, people never see. But I've had numerous people sit in my office and talk to me about, man, but I know the struggles you've been through. I know the trauma you've endured. I need to know the Jesus that got you through that storm. See, a lot of our really great things in life isn't what will change people's lives. Normally, it's the trauma and the stresses. and the. I found this definition because as I was thinking about, uh, Dad was using the R's. He's all about, like, everything has to rhyme. You know, like in, anyways, he used to put them on coffee mugs every year. Like, his yearly saying would be, like, 95 
will shine. I don't, oh, come alive in 95. I mean, whatever it was. Like, it was just kind of a thing. You had to come to church for a long time. 97 will be like heaven. I don't know. 96 will pick up sticks. I don't know why we did this, but it was just a thing. And so if you listen to him preach a little bit, he normally finds a letter, and then he sort of somehow just like, then they all, so last week he was rowing, and you're rowing against the resistance. And so I was like, I bet I could get some R's in here. And you know what word I thought about? I got to find it. It was a really good quote. Resistance. It's that space when resilience is developed if connections are made. You see, the resistance in our lives that we weren't created to face. We were created to live in a garden. Remember, Eve messed all that up. When we get to heaven, me and Eve, we got some dueling to deal with. Because this woman made my life really, really hard. Childbirth was supposed to be easier. Listen, women, someone line up with me. I got a conversation to be had with this woman. Raising children was supposed to be easier. At least my kids didn't kill each other. Like, Eve, you messed up a lot of things for a lot of really good people. But the truth of the matter is, is we face resistance a lot in our lives. But it is in those spaces, in that space, that people will begin to see a hope that is on the inside of you that makes Kent keep growing. That makes Rachel keep showing up. What makes you keep standing back up? What makes you keep bouncing back? What, what is happening? You see, it's not just about me having these works that I do, but it's these connections I make with Christ. And with Schneider, there's Christ in that person, even if you don't like them. Even if they are, as Dad said, Christ in training. We are all in training, people. Some of us are farther along than others. Some of us are still in preschool. I tell people on a regular basis, I learned in preschool and kindergarten that your words matter. And so just because someone hits you, you cannot hit them back. And we use our words to talk to each other, not our bodies. These were things that I was telling my children, and I think the whole American population just needs to go back to kindergarten. Because this is what we taught them on how to interact in the sandbox. And now all of a sudden, we get to say whatever we want to say, do whatever we want to do. And I guess because we're adults, let me tell you how confusing that is to little people. Because you're an adult, so at 18, I can say what I want, do what I want, act how I want. And just think about that for a second, parents. You might need to think about the words coming out of your mouth. We're having to learn this right now because I'll be very transparent. Not everything that comes out of Shonanai's mouth is overly holy. Shocker. You can change churches, but those pastors aren't either. Little secret to tell you, they're all human beings. And our five-year-old says words at times that I'm going, he's going to get literally kicked out of kindergarten. Like they're going to call me and say he can't come back. They're going to kick him out. And then I just want to be like, and I'm that parent now, so I've done daycare for a long time, so I love when parents come in and say, I have no idea where they learned that word from. They did not learn it from me. And I'm like, well, we didn't use it as our word wall in the classroom. So who else are your four-year-olds around? (laughs) Hmm? Or what are they watching? And so I have totally pulled that on. I have no idea where he learned that word from. Maybe his dad. It's all his dad's fault. Liars also, there's a verse that says liars go to hell. So we'll repent later. But anyways... Some of us may have to think about where we're going to feed our souls, where we're going to get answers. Mark would allude that potentially somebody was taking advantage of her. That 
She'd spent all she had on all of these doctors, and yet she had just gotten worse. So she heard about him. But hearing led her to say, maybe, maybe I got one last shot. One last shot to deal with the issue. And it said, for she thought to herself. I have a lot of thoughts that rage through my mind. I'm a mom of five children. And the other 35-year-old is kind of like a child sometimes, so i got to think for him a lot. Love you. So as a mom, I have a million thoughts in my mind. I bet this woman had a lot of thoughts in her mind. What if they catch me? What if stone me? What if this is just another guy that's going to take more of what I don't have left? What's he going to want from me? See, it doesn't matter how many thoughts you have in your head. It matters which thought you hold on to. What if regardless of the millions of thoughts I have through my head, you see, a lot of times we're trying to get rid of all these thoughts. What if I just held on to one thought? How did they know what she thought? You can't see thoughts, so how did Matthew, Mark, and Luke all say the same thing? Because of what she did. You see, your actions will follow your thoughts. And feelings, if traced back, you want to talk about contact tracing? How about you just contact trace your feelings? You probably contact trace your feeling back to a thought. And if you can get to the thought that produced the feeling, what you might find is there are some actions and behaviors in your life that you're doing and you're not even realizing you're doing them and you're going to all these places because see it's all connected you don't have to separate yourself from it you just have to pay attention to it what if those disciples in that boat just held on to the thought he showed up last time he will show up again what if they just held on to the thought we can get to the other side he was with us last time I don't know that I would have gotten in the boat a second time I mean, the first time, at least the guy was in the boat. I mean, he was taking a little snooze, but at least he was in the boat. This time, he was like, oh, go do it yourself. (laughs) How about not? I'd rather not do it myself. Could you just, like, hang out beside me? Grab onto the other end of the row? Or? Sorry, I was trying to say row and or in the same word. I don't know that I would have even gotten back in the boat. But he said, if... You can do this because there's more for you than against you. I don't know if you read this Bible enough. I have walls that yell at me, as I said earlier. And so I have to remind myself that I'm the head and not the tail. And I'm above and not below. And I am blessed when I go in and I'm blessed when I go out. Whether you like me or not, whether the expression on your face seems to be impressed with me or not, it doesn't matter because what I know is there's a God on the inside of me that is greater than this that's on the outside of me. And so regardless of what people think, if I have to run through the crowd to fall at his feet, you can be mad at me, you can take
take me out of my position. You can take me out of my placement. I don't care because I, the love I have for my child. I don't care if I have to get uncomfortable. Most of us won't come to church if we got to sit in our minivan with our kids in a parking lot because we needed to be comfortable to come to church in the American culture. But this woman was willing to say, you know what? I don't care. My issue. I can't deal with this any longer. So whatever I got to do, I will push through this crowd and get to that Jesus because that Jesus I heard would change my life. Some of us may need to speak to ourselves and say, there is something on the inside of me. If there's any mothers in the room that get the privilege and honor of watching the same show, whatever your kids are addicted to today, over and over again to the point that you can quote it. My husband quotes really funny movie lines. I quote Moana right now. Because we have Moana on, like, I want to break the movie in half. I liked it at one point, and now I can't stand it because it's all I listen to. You're welcome. Listen, when all of my kids sing You're Welcome all the time, we've watched this movie one too many times. But if you know the story of Moana, it's actually a really beautiful story of this longing on the inside of her that she feels like she was created for something bigger and better than the life that she was living. And she thinks that not just for herself, but for her entire people. Sounds like Esther to me. But anyway, so she she feels this longing and she goes to her grandmother, someone who has a little more experience and a little more age, reasons why maybe people that have a little more experience, a little more age might need to be back in the children's church so that you can identify and explain to them and narrate to them what's happening on the inside of them because they actually have no idea what's happening. They are unfazed by the masks and the pandemic and the whatever, but they're watching you to see how you walk through a storm and how you deal with troubles and tribulations that the Bible says will come, but be of good cheer. That's in there. In Isaiah, it says, I will be with you because you are more than an overcomer. But parents, you're standing in your house going, what are we going to do? We can't do this. You know how many times I know who has money and who doesn't have money? Whose lights will be turned on and whose lights will be turned off? Who's up and who's down? Because your kids have told me they are stressed out because they hear the conversations coming out of their parents' life. Because instead of speaking the word of God, we speak the trials and the tribulations that are happening to us. We can talk more about the wind and the waves that go around us versus the God that's walking on top of the water. I want to challenge you as parents today. I would not have a job if you would stand in your house and say, regardless of what we face, we will keep our eyes on the Lord. We will look to where our help comes from. Our help won't come from where we go to get a paycheck. Our help won't come from anything else. Our help comes from the God that said he would be there to deliver us, save us, change us. Church, it's time we know what the Word of God says, and it's on the inside of us. And even when I don't feel like it, I will lift up my hands. I tell your kids, I don't care if you feel like it. Listen, I bribe them with goldfish. Straight up, bribe them with goldfish. The first song, they're kind of like spinning around in circles. Not little Jacob Irvin. Jacob Irvin knows every action and he does every one of them with complete intent. But there's some of the other ones. They could care less about the worship songs I'm playing. Listen, they don't actually care. Okay, it's loud. They can be loud. But the second song, I'm like, okay, you're going to make your physical body listen to Jesus. I'm teaching your kids in worship back there, you're going to make your physical body listen to Jesus. I don't care if you don't want to, we're going to all, you can, and I give them the, they can clap your hands, you can raise your hands, you can lay down on the floor, you can spin around in circles, but I want you to think 
about Jesus. Not about your friends. I don't want you to worry about your friends. I want you to talk to your friends. I just want you to think about Jesus because your physical body needs to listen to your God. And I don't want you listening to the people around you that have got a bunch to say. I don't care what her dolly's doing. I don't care what he did on the baseball field this week. I need you to listen to Jesus. I feel like I should just take children's church. I'll let pastor teach children's church and I'll come teach you. Listen, just make your physical body listen to Jesus. And then I tell them, whoever does this, I'm going to give you goldfish afterwards. <laughs> so next Sunday, if you participate in worship, we will pass out packages of goldfish for you. You're welcome. Bribery, I find to be one of the best parenting skills I have. Judge me later. I don't care. Send a note to my dad. He did it to me. He bribed me with bicycles, I think. Anyways, because the truth of the matter is, isn't really all of the other things. It's what I want built on the inside of them. But you don't have to listen. There's always going to be people talking. You're always going to have friends that have advice for you. You're going to have, but you got to find out what is that voice on the inside of you. And Moana went to her grandmother her grandmother said, listen to that voice. And then she showed her something. Have you seen the movie? They walk her into a cave, and she realizes her people were more than what they thought they were. Her grandmother's statement to her was, they have forgotten who they are. The Bible says that this interrupting woman touches him and sneaks away. Jesus wants to contact Traces back. The disciples are more than annoyed. It says when they find her, she told Jesus. That sounds really small, but um, if you're married to a female, you will know she told him the story. That probably took 45 minutes. I don't know about you, but I don't speak in cliff notes. I need to tell Sean the whole story. He needs to know how I felt, what I think the other person was feeling and thinking through the process, because I know. Okay, I know, because I can read bubbles above your head. And then there were lots of other, I mean, there were other things that connected to this that probably happened two weeks ago, and I know without a shadow of doubt they were also connected to the conversation we're having. And I need you to know, at 15 minutes, Sean is so patient with me, but there's this glaze that goes across his face. And I know what he's thinking, what is the point of this conversation? And somehow, some way, I will connect it all down to a point. And Sean is almost exhausted, not because he spoke, because he had to listen. And I am judging him on how intently and attentively he is listening to me. And I will ask questions to ensure he heard all of the points. So I say that to you because it's really easy to read the Bible and say she told him and just kind of skim over that. Listen. If I were Jairus, I'd be throat-punching this woman about this time because my daughter is about to die. Speed it up. My dad's a little older. So, like, at 63, he doesn't listen. He's like, Heather, get to, get, come on, come on, come on, come on, get to the point. He, he, won't, he won't listen to me go through the line. No, that's not connected. That's not connected. And I'm offended over the fact that all of the connections I've made to this matter. And my dad could care less. Get to the point. Get to the point. Come on, Heather. The disciples are frustrated with this interrupting woman. Yeah, she had an issue, whatever. But Christ called her back. Why did he call her back? 
verse 29 says, immediately after she touched him, she was healed. In verse 34, when he called her back and asked for it, what had happened to her, she, he said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Well, but it had already, it had already been over. Why did he call her back to tell her something she already knew? Have you ever read the Bible and gone, why is this happening? Why did he do that? For the sake of everybody else to know he could heal someone that didn't ask for it? There's no other place in Scripture where Christ called someone daughter. He called her back. See, Christ will show up and fix issues in your life. But what he really wants to do is remind you who you are. Christ said, you're not going to crawl out of here number 30. He never called her the woman with the issue of blood. We call her that. We name people by their issues. We identify people based on what we see on the outside. Christ comes and says, I don't care about all that. You are my daughter. Church, we have forgotten. We get out of the boat. You know people who've gotten out of the boat who stopped rowing because they forgot who they are. It is our job to stop limiting people and calling people by the things that afflict them or the positions they hold. It is time we start reminding people who they are. You see, when she heard about Christ, He could heal her suffering. But when she heard from Christ, He knew was shown. There are too many people today walking around. And they've been healed. They've been set free. They've been redeemed. But their shame holds them back. I'm going to do something a little different this morning. And just want you to close your eyes. just want you to think for a moment, what if I really am a daughter? What if I really am a son of the Most High God? What if I'm not my addiction? What if I'm not my suffering? What if I'm not my past mistake or my dysfunction? What if? I really was created in the likeness and in the image and that I am like Christ that I can actually have what he says I can have and I can be who he says I can be and I don't have to live according to the community and what the people around me think about me but I could live according to what God says about me what if
human beings would be molded and shaped over the duration of a lifetime. That we would become and be becoming all in the same moment. Church, we've bought a lie. We bought a lie and allowed someone else to tell us who we were.